Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Now, just to briefly recap, because we've got a lot to get through today, the types of law in the world are, are vast. And, you know, you get constitutional law, you get property law, you get criminal law, and uh, you get uh, public law and international law and commercial law, but very few people talk about personal law. And the personal law causes us uh, uh, a lot of problems because if we break the personal, that's why we need so many other laws to enforce the lack of personal law. But if every person responded to the Ten Commandments, which is the first revelation of personal law, then our society would be much better. And uh, barely 300 words in English the Ten Commandments are powerful and resonate in our consciences. They, they, they still speak to us today. They have family rights. They have uh, uh, property rights. They have sexual rights, family rights. They consist of so much, and they're valid for today. I believe if ever we need them, it's now. And they are the key, not bondage, they're the key to successful living. Zig Ziglar, the late Zig Ziglar, made this comment about the Ten Commandments. He said if God had wanted us to live in a permissive society, he would have given us ten suggestions, not ten commandments. We need to bear that in mind. They're not optional, but they are God's law for our good. And it's a pity so many Christians, you know, I understand the world rejecting God's law and God's word as outdated and archaic, but when Christians say, I'm not under the law, they kind of discount half the Bible as if God has changed his mind and his character. And we can kind of, you know, reject God's principles by saying we're not under law. No, we're not under bondage, but we are under guidance from the law. The late Walter Williams, who, uh, a tremendous author, a wonderful man, he's a lost to the uh, United States, but written a number of very good books. And uh, he says here in his uh, book, um, he says, religion is a social penicillin lethal against a wide array of behavioral pathogens. Because, you know, Christians say we know, we're not under the law and we're not into religion. Well, James talks about religion and religion is mentioned in the scriptures. He cites a study of black inner city youth by Harvard University's Richard Freeman, who says boys who regularly attend church are 50% likely, less likely to commit crimes. They are 54% less likely to use drugs and 47% likely, less likely to drop out of school. In his own studies, he finds that church-going boys and girls are two-thirds less likely to engage in teen sex. Regular church attendance halves the chances of a woman that a woman will have a child out of wedlock. I want to remind you, church, we're not under the ceremonial law, circumcision, some of the ceremonial law, but we are under God's moral law, his unchanging principles. And when we obey them, we honor God, and uh, they are not obsolete for living, they are obsolete for salvation. You can't earn your salvation, but they're not obsolete for living. They can't save us, but they do shape us. And let me just remind you, I've mentioned this every time I speak on the Ten Commandments. Israel was saved by the blood on the doorpost. It was God's grace and mercy that the angel of death passed over. But that wasn't enough. 
They then went into the wilderness and became God's people, and there he gave them the law to show them that now they are God's people, how they should live. So we don't take the one and say, oh, it's just the blood, just the blood, just the blood. No, we have the blood that saves us, and then the law that shapes us. Are you with me today? So let's take a moment now to read and uh, the Ten Commandments, they're divided in two tablets. Five are our relationship with those above us, God and our parents, and five are our relationship with those alongside us. Exodus chapter 20, and I'll read them all, and then we'll home in on today's one. Exodus 20 and verse 1, and God spoke all these words. Not Moses, it wasn't a, an originator, it wasn't originated by man, it was from God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me even if they're fashionable. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. You hate God when you don't obey him. And showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Let me just pause there for a moment. That doesn't mean that when you hit your thumb with a hammer and you exclaim. That's not what it means. Most people think it's, and that's not a good thing to do. What it's saying is, is if you say, I'm doing this in the name of the Lord, and you take money from people, or you abuse people, or you run a church in the guise of spirituality, but behind it you're doing something wrong. The Lord will not let you get away with it. So don't be discouraged when you see things like that happening. You say, how can that happen? And the church is sick to the core. The Lord knew right in the beginning this stuff would happen, and he warned. And he will deal with it. And he there makes it very clear that he will not hold anyone guiltless. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Don't forget it. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male, nor your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. God wasn't tired, but he stepped back and he wants us to do the same. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Then those four words we looked at last week, you shall not murder. Not you shall not kill, you shall not murder. Then the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. I mean, it's pretty plain, eh? And then it goes on, you shall not steal. You shall not give false witness or false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The seventh commandment today, are you ready for it? You shall not commit adultery. Not like most people say today, you shall not get caught in adultery. This is a commandment that has become, again, outdated, but it requires self-will and self-denial in order to fulfill it, even if you're married. And let me give you a definition of adultery, because many of us who haven't committed physical adultery have committed spiritual adultery. And this is the definition of adultery, to set your affection on that which is not yours and to whom you do not belong. 
So you can go to the office and spend a lot of time with someone. You might not ever touch them or kiss them. Someone of the opposite sex and you begin a relationship with them and now you begin to set your affection on them but you're married to someone else. And so you begin to give them what you should be giving your spouse at home. That is committing adultery. And the scripture is very clear on this definition of adultery. In fact, in the New Testament, we read one verse from the book of James. And James says here, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? See, you're giving your affection to the world when you should be giving it to God. Anyone chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You can't be loyal in your marriage and then give someone else affection, let alone have sex with them, which is probably where most adultery takes place. And we read numerous times in the Old Testament, Israel did this. There are records in Ezekiel 16 and verse 23, again in Hosea chapter 2, Jeremiah chapter 3, that there was a betrayal of love and commitment by Israel giving their affection to false gods and false values. It's not just the sexual act, but it is emotion, desire, and affection that is given to someone else. So, for instance, if you send emails regularly thinking of you, wondered how you are, smiley face, you might say, such a good Pentecostal Christian. No, you're beginning to go down a road. If you're married, you're beginning to go down a road of adultery. SMSs, wonder how you look without your clothes on. You all laugh. That's what people do. Christians in Rivers Church some time back sent pictures of their genitals to someone in the worship team. Yeah, this church. Now don't be so righteous and if you're watching at home, don't even be more self-righteous if you're watching online. Even more self-righteous in Kailami. This happens in churches because we ignore the Ten Commandments and we say I'm not under law. You know where you'll go. If your heart goes somewhere, your body will follow. And so we've got to be careful with these things. And if you talk intimately, you go into computer chat rooms and you form a friendship with a married person that borders on intimacy, you start sharing things that you should be sharing with your spouse. That is adultery. And uh, all the commandments, by the way, are reiterated in the New Testament. So this is not an Old Testament commandment. Jesus reiterated this and taught that we shouldn't commit adultery and that this command applies today. Yet I'm amazed at how many Christians keep telling me that uh, they are not under the law and they don't agree. And, and you know, this commandment was given because marriage is the founding or the building block of a strong culture and civilization and society. And when you tamper with marriage, you tamper with all of civilization. And if we allowed adultery to run rampant, which it actually is at the moment, but let alone Christians, we would damage and destroy our entire society because it's built on commitment and faithfulness and marriage. And people say, but if you both love each other, no, there's a lot of damage and there's a lot of emotional pain that comes with adultery. Uh, a, a woman, a Christian woman, wrote in America to what's called Dear Mrs. Vicky. It's a column where Christians can write and Mrs. Vicky is this person that they can get advice from. And this is what this woman said, because this shows you what happens when adultery is committed. She says, I found out three months ago that my husband has been living a lie. He has a child with a woman at my church. My husband has submitted to paternity testing, and the child is definitely his. This home-wrecking hussy has ruined my marriage. 
out of all the men out there, why did she have to go after my husband? My husband keeps crying, telling me he made a mistake and he wants to save our marriage. How can we explain to our children that they have a brother? I don't think I can get over the embarrassment and shame. My husband said the affair is over and that he's a changed man. How can I believe that? I love my husband, but I don't think I can get over this. Sincerely, still in shock. This is what's happening in the church because we are not under law, but we are under grace. Now it's time we looked at those commandments and said, Lord, I commit to keep that. I commit to honor you and I commit to follow your word and to do what's right. And if I'm married, I commit to loyalty and faithfulness and to keeping sex in my marriage. Colin Smith wrote a good book on the Ten Commandments and he described sex like this. He says, sex is God's appointed way for two people to reciprocally say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. I'm going to give you seven reasons why adultery is so common today. And as we look at the reasons, we'll look at the solutions as well. And uh, why it's so common and so accepted today, seven reasons. Are you ready? Number one, the first reason why this is so common and accepted today in our world, and it's almost flaunted in movies, is people are spiritually blind and bound. People are spiritually blind and bound. That doesn't mean people are stupid. Smart people can be blind. Did you know that? And you can be a smart Christian, but you can be bound and spiritually blind. And the, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul speaking, he says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of God. So there's certain things when you don't know Jesus that you are blind to. In fact, the word there that he uses has blinded the minds. It's almost like the, the Greek implies that your eyes have been gouged out and the mind, nous, is comes from the word pneuma, and pneuma means the thoughts, not the actual physical brain, but the thoughts, the reasoning, the opinions, feelings, beliefs, or views of people has been blinded. And when you understand that, listen, you will stop trying to side with people who are blind. The biggest problem in the church today is that modern contemporary churches have tried to side with blind people and accommodate them. No, we need to say you can't see what we see. Amen? Thank you for the mild clap. They are mildly clapping here. I know in Kyle Army you're on your feet screaming, but you can sit down now. Are you with me today? Do you understand? This is something we forget. We forget that people are blind. No, they're just like us. Why? Because they drive a BMW and they live in a similar house to you and they eat at the restaurants you eat and they wear similar jeans to you. No. They think the nouse, the pneuma is very different. They've got the same brain up here, the same mass. They may be highly educated, but they're blind. And we need to recognize this. Rick Renner wrote a book called Last Day's Survival Guide. It was just sent to me uh, recently by Pastor Bayless Conley, my friend in America. He said to me, I enjoyed this book. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And I was reading through it, and he talks about, he, he ran a talk show once, and he interviewed a very famous celebrity on that talk show, and he asked him, do you think the world is getting worse or the world is getting better? And uh, the man said, the world in general has never been in better shape than it is right now. 
As evidence to support his claim, he specifically mentioned the shift of morality away from traditional values, the widespread acceptance of same-sex marriage, and the emergence on the political and economic scene of a one-world system that he believed will turn the planet into an altogether, altogether better place. Talk about blind. But that's how people view life today. They view the world differently to us. And uh, Paul's calling to preach, and, and, and this is what happens when we preach, we proclaim God's word, and that's what opens your eyes. It's the truth of the word. Notice he's calling to preach in Acts 26. The Lord says to him, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Notice that, and a place among those. You can have a seat in church and you can attend a church, but do you have a place in God's church by the change and the opening of your eyes, or are you just an attender of an organization? It's a very big difference. And today, if churches are full and people clap and everybody's happy and it's very trendy and cool, we think that that's the answer. No, we still need God's values and God's truth. And we can wear the skinny jeans and the fashionable clothing, but we need to hold true to the traditional values of the Word of God. And if Christians adapt their churches to, or their thinking to blind people, we make a very big mistake. Marty Rubin is an author and he says this about today's world. He says, a new religion with only one commandment has emerged, thou shalt not tell others how to live. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, we don't, you know, we don't condemn and we don't preach law. That's what I heard one, one guy uh, from another church tell me, hey, Pastor Andre preaches law and legalism, but we preach grace. How ridiculous can you get? Now we don't, we, we, we tell people how to live because that's the goal and we open their eyes. And so society's perception of sex and of marriage, uh, we're in a sex-mad society. Did you know that the porn industry, listen to me, the porn industry's income is bigger than that of the car trade in the world? Massive money. Now, we can't feed that. We need to resist that. And if you notice that since sex education came about in the 60s, the world's not become a better place. We still have rape. We still have incest. We still have pedophilia. We still have sexual behavior that, that, that is not improved. It has not freed us. In fact, it has enslaved us. Because what we've done is we've reduced sex to something being purely for pleasure, not in a relationship. God intended sex to be good and in a relationship, but the world is blind to that. They see it as just something physical. It's gone from being something marital to being something recreational. It's gone from something committed to something casual. Isn't that the truth? And it's gone from something unlawful to something celebrated. But we need to follow God's word. And, and the sad thing is, when I hear that Christians are getting involved and, you know, they're involved with someone else and they, they say, but, but uh, I'm involved with this woman, but she's not happily married. As if that's a justification. Hmm? And you say this, I deserve to be happy. I finally found my soulmate. Really? If you're 28 or 30 or 35, let me tell you, at 60-something, you will find many soulmates on the way. <laughs> if you think you found the one, I've got news for you. You will find many that you will click with, and you will feel the Spirit of God told you, this is the one. Come to me and see me, and I will smack you. 
Gosh, man. None of us must say we deserve to be happy and lie to ourselves because our emotions will deceive us and take us into blindness. David Yount wrote a book called Making a Success of Marriage, and he said this, and this is a good warning to us, studies show that only 5% of men and women who leave their marriages for someone else actually end up marrying that person. 5%. And someone anonymous said this, fantasy dreams have a way of turning into nightmare realities. You have this fantasy of how happy you're going to be, and it turns into a nightmare. Spiritual blindness and boundness. Let's not go along with that. Number two, the second reason why it's so popular and why it is unfettered today, sexual sin is justified and its impact underestimated. We justify it, but we don't, we don't, we don't realize the full impact that sex has on the human being. Deborah Oggins said this, She's an author. She said, sex outside of marriage is like fire outside of a fireplace. It is dangerous and will burn your house down. You see, sex is not just like a normal appetite. It's not like when you need food and you say to your wife, like I say to Pastor Wilma, what shall we eat tonight? Shall we get Mr. Delivery or shall we get Uber Eats? And then we go through a menu, click, 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 pay, and then it comes and when you finish... No, 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 because I need sex. Mm. There are no parties on. There's no one in my horizon. No one in my connect group seems open. Mm. Maybe I should go online and click escort. No, that might get me. But maybe I... No, 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 no. It's not like that. It's not some drive that you just uber eat about. In fact, Paul explains it to us like that. He's careful to categorize it differently. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, talking about appetites, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits, watch this, are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Something happens to you emotionally and psychologically when you commit sexual sin. It's not just a normal thing. It's not, and, and I've heard pastors say this, oh, all sins are the same in the Bible, and we don't pick on the people in our church who drink and those who smoke, so why should I pick on people who are committing adultery? Yeah, you don't want to say anything negative so that your building can be full. You need to speak the truth. We're here to build the church of God. And while we don't condemn we do need to spell out things as the Bible teaches them. Proverbs chapter 6, in the Old Testament, Solomon says, but a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. You see, it's more than the genitals. It's to do with your whole life. And sex is a symbol of devotion, not just a symbol of pleasure. And we've got to see it like that, and we've got to recognize that God has given us limits. Now, here's the problem in the world today. We have tried to take some sexual behavior and make it extraordinary. But this is how you need to view sexual behavior. Look at this on the screen with me at home and in Kalami. All sexual sin fits under one umbrella, and he's listed in the Bible. Immorality, adultery, bestiality, sex with animals. Incest, sex with relatives, homosexuality, sex with the same sex, 
pedophilia, sex with children. The Bible mentions all of them under one umbrella. You can't pull one out and say, but I was born like that. Oh, but it's separate. No, we all have to come under that. Why? Why? For condemnation? No, because it's the building block of a healthy society. Because if you commit incest or you commit pedophilia, you damage cultural and social behavior. But today we know better. We've underestimated the impact and we don't realize what it does to our lives. And we justify it. Notice here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Are you all with me today? Paul writing to the church and he says, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And he's talking about unmarried sex here. He's not saying you should be celibate. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. In other words, he should have sex with her when, when he doesn't feel like it and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields to her husband in the same way. The husband does not have authority over his own body but yields to his wife. It's, can you see it's a mutual serving? Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent. In other words, communicate about it, connect, and stay connected. And for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Can you see the sex drive is so strong that if you don't have clear parameters for it, you'll get yourself in trouble, even as a Christian. Don't say, I don't know what's wrong with me. I need to go to one of those tent meetings where, where they can deliver me, you know, with, where the guy puts his hand on my head and pushes me into the ground and screams and spits in my ear. No, 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 you need to just make a decision that this is a powerful thing that I need to get under control and I need to pray daily for God's grace because he says here that even as a Christian, you can be open to be tempted by the evil one and you could be trapped because it's a strong desire. You see, the problem with marriages and uh, adultery is this. And Colin Smith, in his book on the Ten Commandments, he says this. He says, marriages can get into difficulties because some husbands are very interested in being one in body, but they don't have a lot of interest in being one in mind, soul, and spirit. Ha, huh, you, thought, you thought, ladies, you thought the men were getting nailed. Wait. And some wives are very interested in being one in mind, soul, and spirit, but they don't have a lot of interest in being one in body. God has joined these things together and they should never be separated. Let's not un underestimate the impact, and let's not justify it. Number three, imbalanced teaching on grace. You see, what's happening in the world today is pastors are more and more teaching on passages of Scripture that make people feel good rather than correct people. Just go on the internet and see which, who the most popular preachers are, and you'll see they're teaching stuff that makes people feel good, and that even if they fail, they're told they're loved. And that's not bad, except it doesn't have anything else with it. It doesn't have the whole counsel of God. And you need to be corrected sometimes. I need to be corrected. And we can't have one doctrine in our lives only. Billy Graham put it like this. He said, in all of these centuries, there's not been the slightest shadow of change in the nature of God or in his attitude towards sin. The Bible teaches from the beginning to the end that adultery and fornication are sin. And the attitude of church men does not alter its character. 
I've discovered that when there's an overemphasis of grace, it's that people have a sin that they won't overcome, so they want to be soothed rather than corrected. And if you keep getting corrected, you start feeling guilty, you start feeling condemned. Instead of changing, you'll go somewhere where that is smoothed over. And there's an overemphasis today. And this is what people teach today. How many of you have heard this? When God sees you, he sees Jesus. Really? Where does it say that in the Bible? You see, when Paul wrote to the church, and he corrected the church, he didn't say, you've got all these issues, but when God sees you, he sees Jesus. Because Paul wasn't trying to smooth over. He knew that they were justified, just as if they'd never sinned by the blood. But he now wanted them sanctified, changed in character. So when it came to that, he didn't use that phrase. That's a modern day phrase. And we know that that's what it means that we are justified, but you can't use that for when people are in trouble and they're not living right. Notice here, 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to the church, and he doesn't say when God sees you, he sees Jesus. Look what he says. He says that it's God's will that you, you should be sanctified, and you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, speaking to us, not in passionate lust like the pagans. We're different, who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we have told you and warned you before. How many of you can see this is pretty serious? For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. See, he's not saying when God sees you, he sees Jesus, so don't worry about it. I know some of you are struggling. He's saying, hey, there's some stuff you need to deal with. You're justified by the blood, but now you need to be sanctified. And an overbalance of grace teaching makes us ignore that and not take texts like this seriously. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Here's another one. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Don't underestimate its impact. This is a very serious thing. Can affect your life, your emotions, your whole family, and can have ripples that go into the future and even affect generations. Jude verse 7. Jude says, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. It's pretty scary stuff. I mean, it's very quiet in this. This church has gone in. There's not a peep out of you. There's not a clap from anyone this morning. Why? Because it's like... And this is what Christians tell me. You know, the Bible's not very clear on these things. Really? Have you read it? Or do you read it one way? No, the scriptures are clear. God's called us to be his people. He has justified us by faith, not by works. But now he expects us to live as his people. Why? Because we are the building blocks of society. We are what keeps the rot from setting in. We are the salt and the light. If we go down that road and join with the blind people of this world, the whole world will be blind and we'll all fall in a pit. Here's the danger. Listen to me this morning. This is the danger with grace teaching, only taught. If you go to a church that only teaches that, here's the problem. 
you don't realize how sin starts to set into your life. Because when you don't deal with it or acknowledge it or repent of it, you smooth over it, it goes beneath the surface, and eventually your life becomes full of that. Let me read you, let me read, let me read you a text because I believe this is extremely important and I'm talking to the church today. We can't tell the world how to live, but we certainly can speak to the church. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 14, Peter writes about how your life gets filled with things. Now he says this, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. This is Christians. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. For they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. In other words, they're barely saved. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slave, slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. The more you smooth over it, the more it sets in until eventually you in the church, there will be immoral behavior, people will be committing adultery, and then when you go and correct them, they will get offended and they'll say, I deserve to be happy, I found my soulmate. No, we need to understand God's values and God's law. Number four, is this making sense today? And I was teasing you and I said you were quiet. You need to be quiet. You need to take this seriously. Kalami, we need to take this seriously. And if you're watching online, our world is in the mess it's in because we know better than God. Number four, the fourth reason why it's so common is we have a wrong view, wrong view of a woman. We have the wrong view of a woman. Did you know that women need to be thought of correctly? That's our problem in the world today. And when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and to the Jews he explained it. Now, most of us read this and we say, oh, this is condemning because who can be right? Let me read it to you from Matthew chapter 5. You've heard it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And all the men go, oh. Because <laughs> which man hasn't ever looked at a woman and gone, man. <laughs> so all the Christian men are like, pity that's in the Bible. Hope you don't read it often. Now, but Jesus isn't trying to put his finger on us and push us down. He's trying to say here, it's not just the act, it's the way you view a woman. She has a sexuality and a purity that must not be, she must not be treated like an object for the release of your passions. She is a person that must be thought of correctly. And when we think of men, Think of women, and I use men because uh, women because Jesus spoke about women. When you think of a woman and you think of a man correctly, there's less likelihood of you committing adultery. That's why it says in 1 Timothy 5, you must view the younger women as sisters. When you think of them correctly, that kind of thing is not as easy, easy it's not easily, doesn't easily happen. Doesn't mean it can't happen, it won't easily happen. Are you with me? And so we've got to think of women correctly, and a woman is precious. She must be honored. She's not a sex object. And, and I want to encourage you if you're single today, you say, oh, you're talking to the married people. Yes, here's the problem with sexuality is we haven't learned how to build non-sexual relationships with the opposite sex. You must learn to do that. I think I had it easier in my life because I grew up with my mom and my sister. And so get along with women a lot easier than maybe people who've never grown up with, with uh, sisters or women 
have been in a man's world. I find it very easy to have friendships with women without it being sexual. And if you can build non-sexual relationships, you'll have healthy relationships. You won't have, and every time you see a woman, you won't go down the one track. Or every time you, if you're a girl, you've never related to men. Every time you meet a man, you, you, know, you, you look at his bottom and then you go down one track. No, you, you've got to learn how to have non-sexual relationships, admire someone, and build those friendships. Then you'll be ready for a healthy marriage. Number five. Still good? Got a couple of minutes. Sexual double standards are the reason the problem we're having with adultery in the world. Sexual double standards. What do I mean by that? Well, you know what I've discovered? Most people in the world want sexual freedom as long as their partner doesn't want sexual freedom. So men go on business trips and they want a little nookie on the side, but God help them if they come home and their wife's been messing around. They'll literally beat her up or even kill her. It's a sexual double standard. Also, men want to marry a virgin, but while they're teenagers, they want to sleep with as many women as possible. Well, there are going to be no virgins left. <laughs> so we have this strange idea, and, and, uh, and we say, no, sex is, you know, free love, man. But yet we get jealous, we get angry. The gender-based violence in our country is because men want to control women. They want to have them as a sex object, and they want to control them. Why? Because they, we have double standards. Sleep around, party, mix partners. Yeah, it's all cool, but just not with mine. Amen? And then we say, oh, sex is just recreation, you know. Don't take it seriously. No, no, no. Then we see in the world, people are marching and protesting. Why? Because they've been sexually abused. Why? Because it has such an impact on you. So how can we be free and, 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 and yet we, we, you know, do whatever you feel. No, you can't do whatever you feel. That's what animals do. We're not animals. We control our feelings. We control our sexuality. Hmm? And people talk about open marriages. The comedian Matt Walsh said this, and, 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 and uh, I, I wanna, want you to read this with me. It says, he says, you tell me that you're in an open marriage. I will probably be lambasted for judging you for it. But sorry, professor, an open marriage makes about as much, much sense as a plane without wings or a boat that doesn't float. Marriages, by definition, are supposed to be closed. Actually, I'm getting rather tired of people like you trying to hijack the institution, strip it of its beauty and purpose, and convert it into some shallow little thing that suits your vices. Couldn't have said it better myself. How many of you remember that in 2017, Hollywood was ablaze with a series of accusations against one of its top pro pro producers, Harvey Weinstein. You all remember that. And uh, the hashtag MeToo was tweeted, I think it was at midday, and by the end of the day, it had been tweeted 200,000 times. And actresses who had slept with him willingly, some of them, others he had kind of connived into it, promising contracts, all started speaking up, saying, you know what? This wasn't just recreation. This wasn't just something physical like eating or running. This has had a massive impact on me. And uh, they say by year end, it had been tweeted 19 million times. This was late 2017, and just a couple of months later, 19 million times. And the tweet originally originated with a woman in America by the name of Tarana Burke. 
And uh, a decade earlier, actually, she had, uh, she had started this whole thing. And she said this. She said, the reason was I was looking for a succinct way to show empathy with others because she had been sexually abused. And she said in an interview, Me Too is so powerful because somebody has said to me that it changed the trajectory of my healing process once I heard that. So you, you notice what she's saying, trajectory of a healing process. If sex is just recreational, why do you need healing when someone has abused you? See, we've got double standards. It's free love. There's nothing to it. It's just a physical thing. And, you know, you can sleep with someone. You don't have to be interested in them. That's what men say to their wives. The wife says, so you slept with her? Yes, but, but, but there was nothing to it. No, no, no. There's a lot to it. And we've got these double standards. And uh, Tarana Burkia speaks about healing. And they say in America, between 20 and 30% of American women have been sexually assaulted in their lives. And this is what the article I read says. It says, Me Too has shown that, in our, that, it, that our sexuality matters profoundly. Its violation leads to the deepest emotional and psychological damage, quite apart from the physical scars it leaves. So we have these double standards. And Sam Albury wrote a book, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? Very good book if you get a chance to read it. I read it last year, Sam Albury, and he says this. He says, so in general, we don't believe in unfettered sexual freedom as much as we sometimes claim to. All of us agree that there's such a thing as sexually immoral behavior. The issue is not that Christians are in favor of sexual repression and others are champions for sexual freedom. No one is for full sexual freedom, and everyone believes certain sexual desires should be resisted. To write off the Christian understanding of sexual ethics as simply being restrictive is disingenuous. You see, sexual freedom is not what we believe in. We believe there should be restrictions. We just keep reinterpreting it all the time. And as a result, we've got double standards. Why is sex so highly prized? By God, because it creates life. And anything that creates life must be highly valued. And that's why we need to Take care. Number six, and I need to get done. The time here, it really says hand over to Pastor Devon in Kailami on the screen. I won't. <laughs> How many of you enjoying the word this morning? In a moment, I'll hand over to Pastor Devon. Let me go quickly here because this topic is so very important. How many of you know this is important? Very high levels of temptation is the reason why the world is where it is. And uh, we're being stimulated and we're constantly being stimulated visually, and so we need to realize that we've got to guard ourselves. David ended up sinning with Bathsheba. Why? It all started visually. And, and, and you, know, you know, the world is full of nonsense, full of stupid stuff. I don't even realize how stupid it is. You remember the Beatles song? All you need is love. Da, 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 da. Now, some people in the world and even some Christians go along with that. All you need is love. Da, 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 da. But you forget the guy who wrote that, John Lennon, abandoned his five-year-old boy in order to go and all you need is love with someone else. And then a fan who listened to that song, all you need is love, shot John Lennon. So apparently, all you need is love is not the answer. And the more we stimulate people and tell them all you need is love, the more foolish we are. You know, Julian Lennon said this, and I'll come to a close quickly. He says of his father, I felt he was a hypocrite. Dad could talk about peace and love out loud to the world, but he never could show it to the people who supposedly meant the most to him, his wife and son. 
How can you talk about peace and love and have a family in bits and pieces? No communication, adultery, divorce. There was some very negative stuff he talked about me, like when he said that I'd come out of a whiskey bottle on a Saturday night, stuff like that. You think, where's the love in that? And number seven, quickly, this is a big problem today, and this is why adultery is on the rise, the argument that marriage doesn't work anymore. One person for life is impossible and outdated. Let me say this to you. The marriage failure rate is very high, but it still works. Have you noticed that cars have lots of accidents and break down often? But I still suggest you get one. Don't say this thing doesn't work. No, it has a failure rate. We know better. Even Christians know better. No, we need to go back to God's word. And we need to realize that before marriage, sex is taking. But in marriage, sex is giving. And that God intended it to be in there. And that when we commit adultery, we break down our society. Always remember this, and I'll close with this. You can't build happiness on someone else's pain. People fool themselves. If I go with them, I'm going to be happy. No, you can never build your happiness on someone else's pain. And we need to honor God, honor his commandments, and be part of the building blocks of society and take it seriously and say, God, we want to honor you. We want to live for your glory and for your good. And we want our eyes open to the truth. Help us to be the salt and light, not to be as blind as the world. Pastor Dev, I'm going to hand over to you to pray in Kailami. Now, this morning as we close, how many of you realize this is a serious topic? Hmm? We need to be reminded. We all need to be reminded. We're in a sexually supercharged climate. And you know why we commit adultery? Here's, here's the bottom line. Because we break the first three commandments. We don't make God the Lord of our lives. We don't put him first. We don't only worship him. We've made sex a God. And when you put sex in its rightful place and you put God in his rightful place, everything in society works. And so what we need to do is always go back and say, Lord, I put you first. I put your word first. I don't compromise. I don't look for loopholes. You know, some people read their Bible looking for loopholes. Jesus didn't say. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been reading for three days now and I haven't discovered anything. No, we must look for God's word and say, God, I want to honor you. I want to obey you. You know, saying no builds strength into you. Saying, saying yes builds weakness. And so today, maybe we need to just put God first. If you're watching online today, maybe we need to put God first. And when we obey the first three commandments, where we put God first and we worship only Him, and we don't make anything else a God and we don't bow down to it and, and serve it, that's when everything else fits into place. Bow your head with me at home and in the room this morning quickly and we're going to pray. You know, this morning I've spoken on sex, but if you respond to the altar call today, it doesn't mean you're in sexual trouble or you or you've been committing adultery, maybe you have, I don't know, but I want to speak generally to us today that we just all need to make Jesus Lord. We need to put God first. And we must never make anything, money, food, sex, possessions, must never make anything else more important than God. And sometimes we do, we lose our way. We, we, we soothe ourselves with, I'm not as bad as so-and-so and so-and-so. But let's not do that. Let's come to the Lord today and say, Lord, I put you first. I make you the Lord of my life. And you know, if you don't know Jesus today, the Bible says that you're spiritually blind. When you come to him and you receive him, the light shines in the darkness and you begin to see things that you never saw before. 
And, uh, you know, as a Christian, sometimes the darkness creeps back over your life and it blinds you. So today, if you don't know Jesus, you're watching at home and you're in the room, you don't know Jesus at all, I'd encourage you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. I'm going to pray with you in a moment. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to call you out, but I'm going to pray. You can respond and we can pray together and you can give your life to Jesus. And the Bible says you will be saved if you make him Lord of your life, believe that he's been raised from the dead. If you're a Christian today and you say, you know, the darkness has crept over me. I just want to recommit my life. Not, might not be a sexual issue. You might just recognize, I'm glad I'm in church today because actually I want to put God first. So with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, and you're at home, you say, that's me today. Just raise your hand, lift up, say, yo, would you pray with me? And we're all going to pray with you in a moment across this room. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. That's great. God bless you. Just thank you up in the balcony. Just make Jesus the Lord. Put him first place. If you don't know the Lord, say, Lord, I want the light to shine in the darkness. Just raise that hand up quickly. I know there are others. You, need, you know you need to do this. This is not for me. This is for you. Pop that hand up. And if you've raised your hand, you can put it down. Anyone else, you can put it down. That's great. At the back, you can put it down. Anyone else who's missed out, I want to pray quickly. And you know, time is gone, but I, I, I want to do this. And I want to make sure that we pray with you and that something shifts in your life. This is the most important part of any service that we have. One last call. You say, thank you for waiting. And you popped your hand up. Great. Awesome. Well, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, can we all pray like this church, all of us? Thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus, who died for my sins and my justification. I receive that gift today for my sins and I make him the Lord of my life, putting him first, making him my savior. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Be my savior. I commit to follow you, to serve you, and to grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 